This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. So I chose it because even though my reasons for appreciating and being moved by it and being thrilled by it are always evolving, mm. um, it works on two levels without fail. Okay. There's its aesthetic power, mm-hmm. which is to me unimpeachable. Its mm-hmm. style, the compositions, the narrative, this deep brooding gothic feel. Um, it's it's arresting no matter how many times you've seen the film. Mm-hmm. But then there's its emotional undercurrent, which I think varies greatly depending on when you first encounter the film and what your frame of reference is as you continue to experience it. I first watched it when I was like maybe 13 years old. Okay. Um, and it was on part of, of some, it was on, on, on T, uh, TCM, yeah. on Turner Classic Movies, and, and, and part of some like Criterion Marathon or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember being deeply affected by the romance of the story and feeling really definitely that I wanted um, Joan Fontaine's character, the second Mrs. DeWinner, to mm-hmm. get her heart's desire. I wanted her to win, you know, to mm-hmm. stay with Max and flout all these older women who were trying so hard to like shame and abuse her and make her feel worthless. But then as you get older, <laughs> <laughs> even though the aesthetic pull of the film remains the same, the mm-hmm. undertow changes. And you mm-hmm. suddenly start wondering, well, wait a minute, what are the forces of good and evil actually at play here? Mm-hmm. Um, and whom do I want to be the victor and why? Um, so yeah, that's why I chose it. Welcome to Open Forum. I'm Michael Denzel Smith. The second Mrs. DeWinter has no chance of living up to the legacy of the first. She didn't know that she would be asked to do so. She met Maxim DeWinter on the French Riviera and married him after a whirlwind romance. But when they head to Manderley, Maxim's massive estate, the second Mrs. DeWinter is confronted with the shadow of her predecessor, as well as the unraveling of the story of her death. This week's film is Rebecca, and it was chosen by Taya Obrick, author of the international bestsellers The Tiger's Wife and Inland. Yeah, there's that whole thing about who wins, right? Like, because the the idea, uh, this the story about uh, what's his full name? Is it? It's George Fortescue. George, yeah, George Fortescue Mas- Maximilian De Winter. <laughs> yes, who? <laughs> so really, I mean, rich people in names. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, a it's called Maxim throughout the film. Uh, you know, he is mourning the loss of his wife we could say at this point yeah. or that's what's what we sort of perceive uh that's happening at the beginning of the film he meets this young woman who she's never given a name is she she no uh, she's not she's she's uh in the book she is a first person narrator and never mm. named and then in the film she's always referred to as the second mrs de winter yeah yeah and he meets her in you know he's like He's like vacationing um, or just visiting. He's visiting a spot that was meaningful to him uh, by virtue of this marriage to Rebecca DeWinter. Um, And he meets her. It's a whirlwind romance with this younger woman, uh, immediately marries her, uh, takes her to his huge estate. (laughs) (laughs) It's just grand palace. 
Um, and the the spirit of Rebecca de Winter, it's, it's haunting the place. It's haunting every interaction between the two of them, between the new Mrs. de Winter and the staff that works there. Uh, every, everything that's happening, every relationship, this is, this is overcast on it. And there's a scene, uh, where he's saying, no, Rebecca has won. Rebecca, Rebecca won. Um, and thinking about what you're saying and sort of like you are, your initial reaction uh, when you watch the film is to root for uh, the new Mrs. De Winter to win. And I just feel like this parsing of these winners and losers here as, as, as uh, relates to the story about like who needs to, or who should come out on top. Yeah. Especially since the, the, the power dynamic that already exists in the film is so oppressive. Right. Mm. And I think that when, when you're a very young person, you don't see that you see this, romance between an older powerful uh, uh uh aristocratic man and this young woman who's sort of lifted out of her you know uh mm-hmm. <laughs> out of her uh, distressing situation with this mm-hmm. with this hilarious uh uh figure whose whose uh companion she is at the beginning yeah. um and and she's lifted out of it by this romance and she's going to go and be the mistress of this great house and and it's a fairy tale right but the but the truth is that at the the the, the vortex of power in it is maxim mm. and he, he you know manderley is his uh, 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 ancestral home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this this you know uh, opulent, extravagant ex- estate where um, uh, that you know sort of um, overlooks the whole county, um, and it it he is destined by forces of power and um, birth and British society to come mm-hmm. out on top from the very, very mm-hmm. beginning. And these women who come in, you know, whether it's Rebecca, who is sort of closer to him in rank, or the second Mrs. De Winter, who is not, um, they are pitted against each other in, in this sort of small chamber of, mm-hmm. of power that they inhabit. But actually, his is the great, you know, he yeah. is at the top, he is the, yeah. the, um, uh, the level boss <laughs> <laughs> of the film, yeah. uh, certainly. Uh, which you don't know when you're a young young person watching it, I think. Yeah, and I get that impulse to root for her, really and truly, because like she arrives at Mandalay, and you know she's just like fallen quickly for this man, and that she's now whisked away to this place. She has, she says it over and over again, like I am not of this station. I don't know the rules and mores of this of this life. Like I'm not accustomed to the social class and like how it's how to operate. I don't know how to run a house, right? Like I don't know what this means. And you see this the what's played is like naivete, but it's just being overwhelmed, right? Yeah. By these new responsibilities quickly shoved upon her. Uh, and you're like, no, you, 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 got, you got this, you can do this, you can handle it. Because, you know, the, the woman that's been running the house, Mrs. Danvers, is like at her neck, it basically. Yeah. It's just like, you're not going to live up to Rebecca de Winter ever. It's just not going to happen. Totally, totally. And, and, and it's interesting that you're, you're talking about her sort of, um, her, you know, naivete, like, and her coming in and sort of admitting that she doesn't 
belong there you know it becomes this running joke like they keep referring to her as a child mm-hmm. right like he he bosses her around and he like he has her like eat the eggs and 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 you know put a coat on you mustn't get cold like he's he's very sort of paternal and patronizing toward her in their relationship mm-hmm. and it becomes a running joke in the family like her sister uh, his sister refers to her as the child you know mm-hmm. um and and this youth is actually a veil is code for Un, for lack of sophistication mm-hmm. what they're really saying is you're unsophisticated and you as you're saying you, you can't do this and she marries max and for love and, and she's i think aware that she's in a really precarious position um and and you know mrs van hopper sort of trips her up at the beginning and tells her you have no idea what it means to mm-hmm. be a great lady yeah um and and to a certain extent i think she tries to compensate for this for this, um, for being overwhelmed by being um, very undemanding of the servants, like very mm-hmm. equitable and like sort of not trying to, you know, impose her um, will on them and, and and boss them around the way Rebecca does. But she's too green to calculate that this could backfire, and it does. Yeah. And the servants, especially Mrs. Danvers, hate her for breaching this boundary between classes. Um, going to this spot that she doesn't belong, you know, this line that's been drawn mm-hmm. between upstairs and downstairs. She's not somebody to them. She's not somebody who climbed, you know, the ranks to betterment, whatever that means, but she's just this like, usurper who doesn't know what she's doing. And she's upset the mm-hmm. whole structure for them. Um, especially Mrs. Danvers, who's like, you can't, you can't live up to, to, yeah. to that all. I didn't expect to see you, Mrs. Danvers. I, I noticed that the window wasn't closed and I came up to see if I could fasten it. Why did you say that? I closed it before I left the room. You opened it yourself, didn't you? You've always wanted to see this room, haven't you, madam? Why did you never ask me to show it to you? I was ready to show it to you every day. It's a lovely room, isn't it? Loveliest room you've ever seen. Everything is kept just as Mrs. De Winter liked it. Nothing has been altered since that last night. Come, I'll show you her dressing room. No, you mentioned our youth, and I guess, you know, obviously a Hitchcock film, it's all about sort of that psychological tension and the parts that sort of start to make me feel that. And like, it's it seems it's kind of a misdirection, I, I, I think, in a, in a bit a way, but uh, you know, Maxim is very moody uh in their reasons for that obviously <laughs> um that we can get into but the things that make me start to like feel that tension and start to feel like something's wrong here something is is very off about the way that he talks to her and the way that he's comporting himself is his obsession with her youth right like in the way that he talks about it and in the way that he's almost dismissive of the idea of her as, as growing and changing, right? Like she, they're in the car and they're having an argument. And then she says that she wishes she could be a 36 year old with like a black satin dress and pearls and all of this. And he's like, if you were, you wouldn't be here, right? Like, or I wouldn't be with you or, you know, something along those lines. And, you know, he calls her, yeah, the, the eggs thing. He's like, come on, eat up like a good girl. Like, and yeah, you're right. in sort of that, that paternal uh, figure, but it's like, it's also that that's the attraction. It seems is like that he could, uh, 
you know, capture her youth uh, and, you know, entomb her in her youth. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> since everything else in the, in the movie is a tomb, why can't her youth be her tomb? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 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 But it's just it, it's I mean it's like the way that I was feeling was just I don't I don't I'm I don't like to get into the conversations that happen around like age differences in relationships because to each their own but except that like it became this the point of attraction for him yeah. right and like yeah. and that means that there's an impossibility for her to ever change as a person right like he he rebuffs any of her attempts at like she tries to dress up like a, a woman uh, like of, of aristocracy and he just yeah, kind of laughs at her dress yeah. that, you know then the pearls yeah, yeah. Totally. And he just laughs at her he's like what are you doing like how like why are you doing any of this and it you know you could read that in terms of him him trying to make his own escape from it because like rebecca de winter embodied all of that but it seems like he's not even trying to give her a chance to learn and grow into this role that he's thrust upon her. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and, and too, that he doesn't understand like that. He has absolutely no conception of, um, I mean, the, the way that isolation works in the film is, is really interesting. I, I think particularly in how it relates to this, because when it's just the two of them outside of Mandalay, you know, that's her fantasy, her mm-hmm. fantasy I wish we could be in this moment forever before they start having that fight in the car. She's like, I'd like to capture, you know, like just to have a whole shelf of, of, of these moments as my memories, which is also impossible. So for her, there's this, there's this fantasy isolation in which the two of them exist just in this relationship in this world together in this moment before like Rebecca and Mandalay and, and, and all these things that are going to come to doom her at the end. Um, well, anyway um but um and for him you know that that same uh uh desire is is sort of centered on her youth mm-hmm. um and and you know the desire to preserve her as she is because he's already damned you know mm-hmm. uh broodingly damned um and and the but what happens is they come to the house and then there's this other you know the, the, the true isolation um, mm-hmm. occurs because he isn't able to see that for, you know, the only choice she has is to grow and he doesn't want this to happen. And he sort of, you know, he keeps leaving and, and sort of criticizing her, as you say, whenever he comes back and discovers that like she's attempted to change something about herself or, mm-hmm. or, um, bond with the house rather than stay in this glass jar Mm-hmm. Of, of his memories. Haven't you any family? No, my, my mother died years and years ago, and then there was only my father, and, and he died last summer. And then I took this job. How rotten for you. Yes, it was rather, because, you see, we got on so well together. You and your father? Yes, he, he was a lovely person, very unusual. What was he? A painter. Ah, was he a good one? Well, I thought so, but people didn't understand him. Uh, okay, and so then there is Rebecca and her relationship to Maxim, uh, uh-huh. and you know we're we're trudging along in the film, and we're sort of like slowly revealing some things here, and uh, you know we're we're left to assume essentially that like 
or, you know, the story is that she was in a shipwreck, right? Like she went out by herself in the sailboat and that, you know, it, it capsized. She was a great sailor. She was a great, great sailor. sailor. Great yeah. sailor, but the boat capsized. She drowned. Uh, later, her body was washed ashore. They found her. They buried her. Um, yeah. He identified her and everything. He, he went up, he identified her. It was deeply traumatic. Yeah, he, he identified her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, then... Uh, that another ship, like there, another shipwreck happens uh, when he's he's married to the second Mrs. De Winter. He goes out uh, and learns that they found Rebecca's boat right. and they found her body inside. Right. And now he tells the truth. Like we learn, he's not just a man mourning the loss of his wife. Right, that. Okay. He tells the new Mrs. DeWinter of the night that she died, and you know their in their actual relationship to one another, and like it was he they he hated her. Uh, she they like four days into their marriage, she just broke down what it was actually going to be. She didn't love him. She was not like she would be the perfect wife, and she would turn Mandalay into this place that like it was in, the envy of all of the society folks and and you know everyone would love this place but she's going to be off doing her own thing she had yeah. all of her different lovers and she was just never going to pay any attention to maxim right and all of which has the potential to be extremely embarrassing to his like you know tight-lipped aristocratic state right yeah. that's that's like the threat to his power <laughs> Her, her sort of sexual liberation or her, her you know, her, her openness about the fact that she's not going to be sitting at home darning his socks or whatever um, <laughs> is, uh, is the great threat to his power because people can find out that she's off in London, you know, uh, uh, having it off with any number of people, including her cousin, um, which is weird. But anyway. <laughs> so I wanted to get there, but since you brought it up, and it's not like some great analysis here, but the acceptance of the cousin fucking was just like, like I'm just like, wait, what, have I missed something? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was very, it was, it was odd, um, and and I think sort of was was uh, I, I think is the. Um, is 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 like a like a tally in the bank of well, like Rebecca really was very depraved, you know, like mm. she's um, which you know uh, uh, incest not a great look, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was really surprised in the in, at the at the end of the film when they're having the uh, not to skip ahead, I won't reveal anything for the for the for the for the for the end yet, but um, when they're having the the inquest and um, the cousin sort of casually mentions you know you, you can tell everyone he tells mrs danvers you can tell everyone that 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 she was in love with me like yeah. nobody wants an eye no <laughs> no no one <laughs> that is not the revelation you know like the revelation isn't the revelation was she wasn't faithful to her husband it isn't she was fucking her cousin and that's that's very odd <laughs> that's so weird it's so weird. Maybe shit was just different in 1940, and there was just a lot of cousin fucking going on in England. But I just, I'm sorry, I was thrown off by that the entire time. There, you know, just, just really, and and the fact that everyone knew it, you know, and Mrs. Danvers knew it, and like that sort of didn't throw off her impression of Rebecca. And yeah, no, I, I of all the things that were 
allegedly damning about Rebecca <laughs> um, that I sort of scoffed at. That was the only one where it kind of went, ah, yeah. That, that's Rebecca's one knock, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and, and so to, to come back to the word knock, <laughs> it, it is that, you know, he, he's basically embarrassed, right? Like he is like, and it's not that anyone is found out, but it's just living with the fact of her sexual liberation and her, like, you know, disinterest in him uh, that he's embarrassed constantly throughout the, the course of this marriage. Um, and then what she what he says that he tells her that night uh, that she that she dies is that, you know, she's pregnant. And yeah. that's the ultimate embarrassment here is that then he would be in a position if he never wants anyone to find out of raising a child that he knows he did not father. And that yeah. like, that's, he would have to walk through the world that way. And so he says, maybe I struck her. No, you hit her. Like, it's like not, let's not like, you know, you're telling the story, tell the story. Uh, and then some acts of course of accidents and like, She's struck by something. She fell. Like she falls and hits her head on like oh. on like an anchor that just happens to be sitting in the living room. Just yeah. Th- yeah, it's right yeah. there. Uh, and then she dies, and he can't get over the fact that like she was still smiling this entire right. time. Um, right. So he tells this story, and young second Mrs. De Winter, still enamored with him. It's just like, no, you didn't kill her. I love you so much. We're, we're going, to... <laughs> and I'm just like, stop, stop. <laughs> um, her like total Stockholm sy- syndrome breakdown in that moment. Yeah. Where she's like, oh my God, you didn't love her, and she starts saying it right. You didn't love her. You didn't love Rebecca, um, and that is her. That's her. Her. Uh, her priority. Her pri- her priority in all this is is you know isn't this man has just admitted to just, I'm sorry, I'm laughing, uh, striking and leading directly to the death of his wife. whom he then yeah. stuck in a boat, you know, in a boat. sailed out to sea and like, and, and capsized and, and pretended to misidentify some random woman, you know, um, that none of that is, uh, is, is of concern. What, what matters, the real revelation here is that actually he never loved Rebecca and, 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 you know, you're not actually being haunted by the thing you think you're being haunted by. And this is, this is sort of, um, I think this is where, where the, the the youth of a person really turns because, (laughs) because when, uh, I think when you're young, you, you really feel that, Oh my goodness, thank God. You know, turns out that she is the villain that, that I have been feeling her to be, right? Like Rebecca is the villain. Mm-hmm. She is the ghost in the hall. She is this oppressive house. She, you know, and 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 everything's going to be all right. And then when you get a little older and you sit there and you're like, well, it's so horrifying to think that you are um, more afraid of the ghost of this older woman that you mm-hmm. can't love than of your husband. Mm-hmm killed his previous wife yeah. uh, in the room that you're sitting in and has just told you about it. Yeah. Um, it's a very, it's a, and, and this is what I mean about those sort of two, two levels, you know, it's a scary film. It's a moody, scary film, no matter what, mm-hmm. but for different reasons. As you go through for, for different reasons. Yeah. Cause you're saying that in terms of like 
the relation to it uh, at different points of your life and sort of like basically seeing the perspective shift from, you know, your age and like the perspective that you're associating with. Right. And what I can say is that like, look, in, in watching this film now, I'm like, no, Rebecca won and she should have won. <laughs> um, but I can, I can almost certainly see myself at some point if I'd encountered this film earlier watching it and going oh man maxim was stuck in a loveless relationship yeah you know and just being like oh man i i feel for that guy totally totally he he was really in an impossible position like having to raise the cousin's child <laughs> the cousin's child is his own you know in his big mansion and pretend that that you know this this loveless union was was something that it wasn't i mean totally and and to some extent i think um it it's it's why i think that rebecca functions as a prototype for reckoning with with jane Eyre or the mm. jane Eyre syndrome. you know mm. what i mean um and you know jane Eyre is when you think about the similarities you know it's yeah. this um, story of a plain, poor English governess who steals mm-hmm. the heart of brooding, mysterious English aristocrat, Mr. Rochester, right? And he's the master of Thornfield Hall, which is this dark and extravagant country estate, just mm-hmm. like Manderley. And it turns out that his first wife, Bertha Mason, a woman of West Indian origin who is supposedly crazy, um, has been imprisoned in the attic upstairs for literally 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're young, (laughs) Um, you know, you're sort of weaned on Jane Eyre is this great story of of female independence and and overcoming class boundaries. But then, you know, uh, you get a little older and you read The Wide Sargasso Sea Mm -hmm. uh, by by Jean Rees. And and it reexamines the story from the point of view of Bertha Mason and shows the, 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 the role that power and colonialism play in how Bertha was perceived and treated and yeah. traumatized before being locked up in the attic. White Sargasso Sea was published in 1966. Rebecca, the novel, came out in 38. Um, mm. And the Hitchcock adaptation followed in 1940. And so it's difficult not to see it as an attempt to contend with the question of like the myth and, and uh, of the mysterious and, and insurmountable first wife, right? Yeah. Um, I think many of the same themes are present. This young, naive, materially disenfranchised woman, the cold, moneyed man with a tendency to brood on secrets and all the secrets center on the existence of the previous wife who's portrayed in the husband's eventual retelling of the story as sexually promiscuous and lewd and uncontrollable and a source of shame. Um, and, and you know, it begs the question, what does the wife say in all this? Yeah. And Jean Rees answers that question in White Sargasso Sea. But to some extent, I think Hitchcock's answer can't help but lie with Mrs. Danvers and, mm. and, and this notion of, of victory. You know, I think she's the, <laughs> I think Mrs. Danvers is kind of the lesbian feminist hero of the film, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> she's, you know, she's, she's indisputably framed as the villain of the piece Hitchcock, mm-hmm. Hitchcock, sorry, Hitchcock shoots her as this menacing shadow and she's a ghoul on the wall and, and Judith Anderson plays her brilliantly with that completely wild and discomforting stare but when she talks about Rebecca 
She expresses admiration for what? For her late mistress's brains, her fearlessness, her independence, her irreverence. She knows all about Rebecca's sexual indiscretions and cool, cousin fucking. Um, but she isn't put off by any of them. She admires them. Um, and she says that, you know, love was a game to Rebecca and that she would laugh at everybody. Yeah. And she would tell Danvers everything. And she uses Danvers' name as her, you know, as her secret, uh, as her secret name when she goes to the doctor. And Danvers is the guardian of Rebecca's shrine and mausoleum, you know, which she's ensured that all of Manderley has become. And she believes that nobody, man or woman, ever got the better of Rebecca. Um, and that in the end, it was the sea. And you have to wonder, you know, when she burns the place down, that's, that's sort of still the case. Rebecca totally, totally wins. Yes. New York or Manderley? Oh, please don't joke about it. Mrs. Van Harper's waiting and I th I'd better say goodbye now. I repeat what I said. Either you go to America with Mrs. Van Hopper or you come home to Mandalay with me. You mean you want a secretary or something? I'm asking you to marry me, you little fool. Mrs. Danvers is holding the place of the older woman here that like we've lost with Rebecca in terms of like her physical presence mm -hmm. and checking this younger woman first and, and saying, look, you don't belong here. And like, yes, you would if you're looking just from sort of uh, just for, for, from perspective, you're like, well, no, why would you uh, cast out this poor young woman who's just trying to love this man and like now has the access to all of this life and what have you. But it's as if Mrs. Danvers knows that there's something afoot with Maxim and like his relationship to Rebecca. And she just, can't, she can't say it because of her own class position. Right. Right. Um, right. And that, you know, she clearly is very in love with Rebecca DeWinter, right? Like, there, there's there's a tenderness and affection for her uh, that, you know, I think is probably the one true love in all of all of this film. Huh. Uh, ex except huh. maybe the cousin's love for Rebecca. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, but when she and I'm, you know, my podcast i can do spoilers uh she burns down mandalay and it's just like everything you were t we were talking earlier about being entombed everything that's entombed there is now cast aside and it is all of the secrets it is all of the pressures it is all of the disrespect and it is all of the things that like it feels like rebecca is uh in the way she's described uh you know, pushing against, right? Like, it's not as if she doesn't know that there's the potential within these types of marriages and these arrangements to be completely loveless. And she's sort of accepting that her station will, like, uh, that that's something that's, you know, expected of her. And it's and she's saying outright, she's claiming her own space to say, look, I'm not going to live that way. And I know that I'm not attracted to you. I'm never going to love you, Maxim. And I'm going to live free. And she does that to at knowing the, the risk uh, therein and the consequences that that could have for him and for her. Uh, totally. And she does ultimately pay that price, but she pays the price in like this way that you know we're we're led to believe is basically her, her attempt at suicide because she learns that she has cancer. Um, right. But it, but even then, she's just saying like, look, I know the ins and outs of these relationships, and I know that saying this thing like I don't want to live with cancer, 
I know that if I say this thing to my husband, I know exactly the reaction that will, that will come about. Like she, it's like Rebecca's the smartest one here in that she understands all of the power dynamics, all of the gender dynamics, and she's both, you know, flaunting them and flouting them in her life. And then in her death, she's exploiting them. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. That's such a good, and, and, you know, and tormenting him from beyond the grave. <laughs> tormenting you know, him. She's at rest, but, <laughs> but, but he's not. Um, yeah. Yeah. Teo, what's one lasting image that sticks with you from Rebecca? For me, it's the scene when um, Mrs. Danvers comes through the um, through the curtains in Rebecca's room in the West Wing the first time mm. that the second Mrs. DeWinter, the first, sorry, uh, the first time that the second Mrs. DeWinter goes up into Rebecca's room in the West Wing, which she's dreaded for so long, mm. um, and and Mrs. Danvers comes through the curtains in silhouette. Yeah, and he always shoots her in silhouette. She's mm. she's, she's really the shadow, and she's a shadow at the very end, like when they when they when he focuses in on her through the the burning window. Um, but but that that moment, I think, has always haunted me, and I think it's mm. one of the ones that that is often used too. You know, like when you see that moment in a montage of old mm. movies, oh, that's Rebecca. Mm. Um, yeah. How about you? Oh. Uh... Of the images, I mean, it's so vast and so grand. I mean, it really is just when they approach Mandalay, and and it's sort of like you know we we talked about sort of that gothic imagery, and it's just like this. There's no way that this place isn't haunted, right? Like this, it's it's just so it's too grand uh, for the number of people that live there, right? And just the 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 amount of open space that's always around you like there's no sense that like you could ever truly be alone but you feel your tininess and you like you feel a loneliness being in that space and so once you get that very first shot of it it's just like then understanding that there's there's nothing here that could ever to me foster anything but this emotional turmoil yeah that's a that's a i I love that that's so let me steal that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Taya, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Thanks for listening to Open Forum, a podcast from Lit Hub Radio, produced by Justin Alvarez and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for the Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episode. Next week, Richard Kimball didn't kill his wife, and Samuel Gerard doesn't care. 